those that fight end up being the ones that are able to disrupt business and industry. And there will be someone who's listening to this who has the fight instinct instead of the flight instinct. And they will fundamentally change the way that they approach real estate because of this opportunity that's been afforded to us, but only because of their willingness to sit in and honor the discomfort of this struggle. So the big question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that most successful agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's competitive real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I just got done interviewing Dave Hollis. You know, Dave is a huge you know, coach in the business space. Him and his wife are the running the Hollis company. They're trying to help change lives out there. And we thought this week would be a great time for just some motivation about what people can do to make their lives better and to adjust during this kind of crazy, strange time. So we went over a bunch of stuff about the different things that they see online, some different ways of advice on how to get through quarantine as a spouse, as a father, you know, and everything else. So. Hope you guys love this one. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui. I am super excited today to introduce you to today's guest, Mr. Dave Hollis. You know, Dave has a huge resume for what's going on right now. It, it's pretty funny. He's a podcast host himself. Him and his wife run a morning show on Instagram. Probably has like 100,000 people that follow their life every day. The personal development speaker and coach. And just released a new book, which we're probably going to talk a lot about today. And also, you know, living in quarantine right now with his six kids. Super interesting. He used to be the president of like digital theatrical distribution at Disney and decided to leave that life in California, moved to Austin and him and his wife run the Hollis company. So, you know, I asked Dave to come on here to talk a little bit about like inspiration and happiness. You know, real estate news the last couple of weeks hasn't been all that awesome. And I figured Dave would be a great guy. So I could tell our guests two things. One, we're not going to talk about real estate at all. And two, you don't want to miss it. So Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate being here. Yeah, the, right now you guys are doing kind of so much stuff to kind of adjust in quarantine. It's funny, you've lived in Texas longer than me. I should probably start with just asking like, so is this weather just, is it a big joke that quarantine happened while like during our rainy season out here in Texas? Like every day I want to go outside. It's bananas. I know, honestly, you want so badly to get out and just get some fresh air and the cloud cover and the rain has really been compounding. It's also hard to complain about, frankly, anything on a relative basis because it's, you know what, we're trying to make the best of every single thing that this thing comes with. And there have been, if you can see them, if you look for them, a lot of gifts that have come in this having to stay at home, having meals with your family, having to slow down and reassess what actually matters. So um, I wish... Yes, that there was a little more sun in this Texas landscape of ours. Um, but you know what? I'm going to choose to be happy to be happy. You're totally right, too. There are so many things out there that are kind of like changing for the better. Like we can look just like any situation. We can look at it both ways. Like instant gratification right now is dead, right? It used to be like you could have Amazon delivered in three hours. You could have groceries delivered in a couple hours. And we've all had to learn, to like kind of step back like a few years to be like, wait, not everything is at the tip of your finger fingerprint tips anymore and uh, focus on what's around us. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you started the show by saying we're not going to talk about real estate, but I will say like, if there were a time 
to think about the way that you've always been doing anything, including, including the way that you've always been approaching your real estate business. Or for us, we have a business that includes live events, live events, compromise in the short term, the way that we, uh, we have a team of 60 people, the way that we're talking to and staying connected, creating and maintaining the culture of our company through totally unusual means in the short term, man, it's been a little bit of having to get our, you know, land legs, our running legs underneath us, but also it's building in this time a way that we will do business after this time has left that is a gift because of what this time has forced us to have to do. And so uh, I would actually like, you know, as much as man, it is not an easy thing to have to deal with this disruption in the time that we have, because things are slowing down in the time that you may have as a person listening to this who works in real estate, where there maybe are fewer buyers or sellers in the market in the shorter term, how can you instead of focusing on how you might traditionally in your nine to five or your 40, you know, 70, whatever it is, hours a week of serving your customers, think about the way that you might think differently about serving customers in a time like this. What needs do people have today inside of quarantine that you could maybe change the way that you are trying to meet them where they are so that when things return to some kind of normal, normal being different than what we came out of, but something that right. resembles what, you know, what is going to be a normal, more normal kind of way of doing work, um, that because of the relationship that you've created during these extraordinary times, they think of you differently because of the way that you were able to extend and deliver value to them in their quarantine during this window. Right. It's like throwing gas on the fire right now. Like don't put, don't take your foot off the gas, like figure out how can you, how can you jump? How can you make changes? How can you innovate? Yeah. There's so many of these local companies. I went to like Best Buy the other day, you know, and I buy on my phone, I park in the parking lot and these guys are running out and they like now deliver stuff in your trunk. Or there was a, a sit-down Mexican food place that I went by, and they have a full-on like drive-through setup out in the parking lot where they're like bringing bags out to people. Like so many people are changing their businesses, or even like the movies. Like that's a big part of where you were. Like any movie that was supposed to get released this week, a lot of them are releasing just straight to you know online distribution instead. The you know, do you think there's going to be a lot of things that people come out of this and realize when when it does go back to our whatever that version of normal becomes. I say, oh, we started doing this during quarantine. We're going to keep doing that. We actually learned that's a good way to communicate. Or you know, can you think of anything off the top of your head that you guys will probably do later? Absolutely. I mean, there are some software like kind of com connecting tools that we're using right now in Asana or Slack that we may have used a little bit prior to quarantine. But the way that it is just a dependency on us continuing to get things done has been a massive gift in the way that we will, after this is done, continue to use them as project management kind of tools. But I think, you know, like one, it kind of depends on how long this lasts. I tend to be someone who just thinks that things will last longer than we'd hope. And that way I can manage my expectation and the expectation of the humans in my house for this just being the way that things will be for some length of time. But in that, the longer that it ends up lasting, the more likely that consumer behavior is going to change coming out of it. And um, that's, that's one. Two, there are two types of people inside of crises like this. There are the kind that um, will wait to see how things, how the sand settles, how things end up, you know, returning to or not a sense of normal so that they can make plans on the other side of having clarity on how things are now going to be. Or there are people that are going to in real time, 
be an active member in defining how things will be when they are either in the midst of or on the other side of it. And so innovation is going to happen that meets the needs of changing consumer demand, whether you are a part of it or not. So why not be part of it? That's, you know, like more the way that I think of it. And so when I think about the way that people may think differently about the necessity of meeting in an office space, as a, for example, telecommuting and network, you know, like doing virtual work is something that is going to exist for maybe a quarter of the year this year. And in that, some of the preconceived thinking around the necessity of having your entire team inside of a physical space will be challenged just because of time. Like any habit, whether it's, hey, I want to start running or I want to you know, cut this thing out of my diet. Usually habits are things that can be formed over a 30-day period. You get to 90 days and they are something that you can stick to for the rest of your entire life. And so we are in real time being given, whether we like it or not, the gift of a window to build a new set of habits. And so some of the habits that we adopt, whether they're physical habits, drinking water and moving your body kind of habits, or getting comfortable with how we have virtual teams that can be as productive as they would have otherwise been if they were in offices is a thing we need to take note of. So if you're working in real estate, this is a thing I'd keep my finger on the pulse of, especially if you work inside of commercial real estate. What yeah. is this going to mean potentially for the way that you are projecting the needs that some local business that was planning an expansion may now in fact not have that kind of need because of learning something out of this window. And if you know that, are there ways that you can come to the, this new reality with a set of solutions that still keep you relevant in a world that may be shifting a little bit in real time? Yeah, yeah it's, it is such, great, it's such a great point too. Like you talk about habits and habits form over 30 days and we're getting forced into this new, like maybe 60, maybe 90, who knows how long for this habit. And so being able to, you know, jump in on that and then see what's out there. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to see the habits that are happening. And in the business world, people can start to see that. Just like you said, everyone's going to realize that, you know, whereas working from home before was a no way possible, I think some people are going to see they're actually more, more productive or they're not, they're not driving here and there anymore. They actually have so much more time on their hands as they, as they get to make those changes. And so we start to see that, you know, your book, you talk a lot about habits, right? And the... And, you know, one, I think one of the parts that talks about like inside out, and you've got all these different brain, all these different, you know, thoughts inside your head, but really we don't have any control over those that we really, the only thing we have control over is our habits. And so the, what are some of the habits right now that you guys are pushing like with your next 90 day challenge or you as a personal coach that people really need to adopt now? Cause they kind of have 90 day training wheels where it's going to be, should be easier to adopt some of those habits, I would think. Yeah. Well, I mean, having a daily routine like, and sticking to a daily routine during this window is such an important thing. Like going to the bed at a consistent kind of time, exercising on an every single day basis, making sure that you're eating and taking care of yourself. Like the things that you do every day, trying to do them as often as you can around the same kind of sequence, creating a sense of normal in an abnormal world is important, at least from a mental health perspective, but also just from a momentum perspective. Moving our body every single day is critically important. So we, my wife and I are in the midst of a challenge with our community called the next 90 days. Just assuming that we collectively in isolation need community more than ever to stay uh, in a posture of being able to not just survive, but thrive through whatever ends up being thrown our way. 
And there are some things that we're committing to every single day that include moving our body for at least 30 minutes, making sure that we're drinking half our body weight in ounces of water every single day, getting up an hour earlier so that we can actually spend some time by ourselves. There is an impossibility to be totally alone when you are quarantining in a house of six humans, but uh, getting up an hour early is my chance to actually put some of the oxygen mask on myself first before my kids show up and um, tr you know need their homeschooling or need you know whatever it is that four kids between three and thirteen years old need when they are all inside of this house together. Um, making sure that we are focusing on gratitude every single day is an important part of how we are approaching every single day, and then we have committed to every 30 days of the next 90 days, trying to pull one thing that we wanna just show ourselves that we can commit to promise-wise out of our food regimen or drink regimen so that we can uh, be fueling our body in a way that actually has us showing up the way that we'd hope. So tortilla chips as a coping mechanism during this time great is something that I always lean on. And, uh, and man, I just, I, I'm, I've chosen, you know what? No tortillas for the next 30 days. I'll switch to something else. I just yesterday uh, celebrated not having a drink for a year. I committed a year ago when drinking as a coping mechanism after long days, after stress showed up, um, drinking had been a casual thing in my life for my whole life. And then it became less casual when the stresses were stacking on top of each other as we were scaling our business and trying to work together for the first time. I was writing my first book and I just, I made a decision, you know what, I'm going to show myself that I can not have a drink for a year. And man, what an awesome thing to have made that choice for more than anything, showing myself that if I make a promise to myself that I can keep it now that I've made it through a year of not drinking, I know that I can, you know, frankly, take on any kind of a promise to myself. But um, in this season, in this quarantine, in this crisis where it's going to escalate before it de-escalates, having a set of habits that you can lean on, a set of routines that you can lean on are Critically, critically, critically important. And in part, if you are not totally familiar with the way habits work, you are going to be triggered. It is a guarantee in life. There is no way that you can not have triggers show up. When you are triggered, there is a routine that you go to. And that routine is something that produces a reward. And that is called a habit loop. You're triggered, there's a routine, and then there's a reward. And the challenge for you is to understand when your triggers show up because your triggers are going to show up. You can't not have triggers show up. And when they show up, have a routine that serves giving you the reward in a way that is healthy for your body, that is consistent with your personal brand, that helps you still show up well for yourself and for your family. For me, when I previously was triggered by life, stress, fear, anxiety, whatever it might be, I would reach for a drink and it would produce a reward. I didn't have to think about those things because I was numbing some of my anxiety. When I decided to not drink, I still got triggered, all the time got triggered, but instead of grabbing a drink, I would go for a run. And so in that run, I could still produce the reward. I didn't feel the anxiousness, I didn't feel the fear, because while I was moving my body on the road, I was able to process that fear. In this time, you're gonna be triggered. In this time, you need to have a conscientiousness of your habit loop so that when you become triggered, you choose uh, an activity, a routine that, yep, still provides you the reward, but does so in a healthy way. 
Yeah, you, you were able to take that, you know, quitting drinking to really, like, when you were triggered, you would, you would run and then you didn't just start running like you did marathons or you, you did like the Everesting hike or just really all sorts of different things. You kept pushing the envelope further and further. So now you've seen all the benefits of it, right? But at the first time, was there a moment where you said like, hey, I'm going to try to, you know, skip this. And, and maybe as it applies to people that are at home right now, as they're looking at, we're, I mean, we're in our face seeing our bad habits all day long. Our spouses are seeing our habits all day long. Was there a moment that, that happened that you were like, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. And then a moment you were like, wow, I'm definitely going to take this through my year. Well, I decided to commit to a year because I tend to be wired a little bit more all or nothing. And I didn't want to give myself the chance to negotiate with myself because I'm a decent negotiator and I can rationalize uh, just having a drink only when things were like this. And I, and I truly was hoping to rewire the way that I thought about alcohol as an effective coping mechanism. And what I didn't appreciate at the time, but what I can see very, very clearly on the other side of it is um, that alcohol or pills or food or any of whatever you listener, your coping mechanisms that don't serve you, any of those coping mechanisms, they are not local anesthetics. You can't take that negative coping mechanism and apply it just to your fear. It also mutes your joy. You can't just apply it to your anxiety. It also stunts the opportunity to grow because the rough edges that you are trying to take out of your long day, those rough edges are actually the place that growth comes from. And so in this crisis, in this window, where you're questioning what the heck am I going to do with this slowdown and how am I going to try and drum up as many customers and what does it mean for the commercial real estate market and whatever it might be, the thing that you have to try and do, though it is uncomfortable, is sit inside of the struggle and let the struggle be the catalyst for breakthroughs and innovation. It's, it, it, it's, a hard, it's like an easy thing to say, it's a hard thing to necessarily wanna practice, but the last time there was a major recession, I think people probably know this, so this isn't new information, but in between 2008 and 2010, the kind of companies that were born in the midst of economic crisis are some of the most important in, in terms of market capitalization in the world now. Right. Uber and Square and Venmo and Slack and Airbnb, like these companies that came in and totally revolutionized the way that people did business, did, did either did business or do business. Like think about like Airbnb, one of the biggest companies in hospitality, doesn't own structures, right? Okay. Uber, one of the biggest brands, market cap wise, it's the biggest, you know, transportation company in the world doesn't own cars, right? But they were born inside of this, inside of this space. And so, like, the ability to afford innovation to take place requires that you're able to sit inside of the disruption, the, the struggle, the friction, the pain, and not mute it. And so, if you can, if you can try and see the opportunity that might come in not muting some of the things that happen in a state of fear, you know, like fight or flight, you, you get to choose. If you, if you decide flight is your option, you decide to drink instead of have to deal, then yep, you will not be dealing with the, the pain or the, the, the fear or the anxiety, but you're also not going to get any of the benefit that comes in the fight. Those that fight end up being the ones that are able to disrupt business and industry. And there will be someone who's listening to this who has the fight instinct instead of the flight instinct, 
And they will fundamentally change the way that they approach real estate because of this opportunity that's been afforded to us, but only because of their willingness to sit in and honor the discomfort of this struggle. Yeah, the I mean, if it's the same, you saw, you talk, if you mute emotion, if you just want to, if you want to mute the sadness, then you're going to mute the happiness, right? You can't, you can't mute, you know, some emotions exclusively. And you think back to Airbnb at the beginning, those guys were like, we just needed to pay rent, right? So they rent out a room. And now with just how giant that industry has become and everything else out there, there's a lot of innovation that, you know, we even talked about at the beginning, companies are doing them, and then somebody's going to take it a step further and go, wow, now everybody, you know, wants to do business like this. Real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. And as you know, when you've been hearing these episodes, so many of our guests give us lots of free gifts and share the tools they've been using to become successful. We've got free real estate tools, scripts, eBooks, marketing materials, and more. We keep track of everything in our vault and it's updated with new items each and every week. If you want access to that stuff, it's totally free for being a listener. All you have to do is go to agentsuccesstoolbox.com, agentsuccesstoolbox.com and get your free gifts now. So let's talk about your book a little bit. The, you know, it comes out there. I think so much of it applies now as well. You know, the book is really a bunch of you know, lies that we tell ourselves, right? And, the, and it's like you know, lies are, you know, it says like my work is who I am. You know, the things that have worked for others won't work for me or self-help is for broken people or you know, self-help is all, also like you know, self-improvement. There's all sorts of ways in that. The, when you started going through this book, were there any like lies that we tell ourselves that stand out to you as being like, this is one of the most important ones to handle first as like a domino to start, you know, the rest falling. Do you have a favorite or one that, that really, you know, held the biggest influence on you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's important first just to begin with, we are all operating against the backdrop of a set of stories, lies, beliefs that were given to us over time. Some of it was given to us through life experience. Some of it was given to us by our family of origin. Some of it was given to us by societal structures. But there are a set of stories that govern the way we operate. Whether we are conscious or unconscious of it, the more you can become conscious of it, the more you can affect whether you believe in the things that you believe in, that you still uh, afford credibility to the sources of those stories. And so in the midst of this season, um, before I answer your question, I just want to say, yeah. if you are operating currently against the backdrop of a set of beliefs about how you do or don't have the resilience, can or can't be the person who makes a pivot, do or don't have the ability to see what is happening as an opportunity instead of something that is going to destroy your business forever, you have to ask where your belief in that story comes from. Right? Is, was there some experience that you had one time when adversity showed its head where you didn't actually come out as strong as you'd hope that you've stayed anchored to? Was there something in the way you were raised or is there something in if you're a, a man or woman, the way that you know, a good man or a good girl you know, operates in the world that you have allowed to become your truth, even if it was told through the lens of someone else's fear? So I would start there. Um, the biggest one for me was that everyone is thinking about what I'm doing because so much of what limits us from doing the things that we've been put on this planet to do, so much of what like, affects the way that we think about 
taking chances, right? right? The people who are going to succeed in this environment right now, in the midst of this crisis, are those that are willing to take chances that might have them publicly fail because of wanting to learn from that public failure. And the reason why so many people will not take a chance and publicly fail is because of the way ego is connected to what other people might think of us doing something and not being great at it the first time out of the gate. And so the more that you can spend time thinking about whether you believe the lie that everyone is thinking about what I am doing, because I believe that lie, everyone is thinking about what I'm doing and was afforded this wildly massive gift in my leaving Disney to come and do this work that as much as, yep, I still have people that I'm connected to. And man, I'm sure that was, there was some emotion around the going away party. The second I was gone, I was replaceable. The, the minute I was gone, they were still breaking records. They still had the greatest team. They still it's had the greatest Disney. collection of intellectual property. It's Disney. <laughs> and so any time that I delayed leaving a situation where I knew I wasn't growing as much as I needed to for the opportunity to do this work with my wife, was time that was wasted because of a belief that other people were thinking about me and because my choice to go do this work made sense to me, but not them, I was like unwilling to go venture off into doing this thing that I might fail at for the worry of what they might think and no one was thinking about me. And so if you are hearing this, no one is thinking about you. Uh, like, please hear this. It's a yeah. gift. No one is thinking about you because, and, and, and this is, and I have to say this every time, right? That's not an indictment on the people I was working with. It's not an indictment on the people that are in your circle or your friends. You are probably friends with people who are listening to this episode and they're not thinking about you because human nature is to think first about ourselves. I think about myself first and so do you, each of you listeners. And if someone is thinking about you, and they have a problem with something that you're doing, it may be that they, in some ways, are begrudging of the fact that you have a belief in yourself that they do not yet themselves have a belief in, or that you are so comfortable pursuing failure in a way that reveals their discomfort with being seen as a failure, and, and, and they're feeling something about you that is more a reflection of their fear than it is a reflection of your truth, is not a reason to not go and make, make a step in, in the direction that you feel called, that you feel pulled. The, the, the way that we can reframe failure as being for us and failure as being the only way, truly, that you will ever learn and grow to become the kind of broker, the kind of agent that you hope to one day be, um, th that, that's the day where you become free. I have sat with my team and had to have this conversation many times um, they don't love this conversation, but at the beginning of the year, as we were giving them the vision of where we were taking our company five years from now, the audacity of the dreams of where we're trying to build our company had me having to let them all know that with the set of skills that they currently each possess, none of them will be sitting at the leadership table of our company five years from now. And that includes me because they have not yet taken chances on and failed in areas of our business that would equip them with the experience to be qualified to sit at that table. And if you have given a vision for where you'd hope to lead your team or grow your office or have the certain number of houses or apartments or dollars that you're generating hit a certain threshold, you are not qualified yet for that 
because you have not yet pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone far enough to fail at enough things that would equip you with the experiences to know how to do that as well as is required. If you already had those skills, you'd already have that office. If you already had those skills, you'd already have that revenue number, but you're not there yet. And that's not an indictment on you or anyone on my team. It's just a statement of fact and reframing the way that we have to think differently about our worry of what people might think of us failing gives us permission to go out and actually build a set of skills that would make us qualified to sit in the headquarters you dream of five years from now or sit in the headquarters I dream of five years from now. Right. There's so much freedom in that, right? Like realizing that no one really cares. It's kind of like when you're, when your kids are at a dance recital, right? You're only, you're only, I'm only looking at my kid, right? I don't really care yeah. if my kid falls down. I got to tell her, look, I'm the only one really watching you. The, you know, the people around us are the ones that care, the ones out there that we tend to think, you know, too much about they aren't paying attention. And when Dave's saying this, he, you know, he had a huge role over at Disney, right? And it was like a job that a lot of people are like, wow, he's, you, know, you get to talk to famous people and movie releases and all the fun stuff that people see around the world and getting to go leave to run a business with his wife. The, you know, imagine what would have happened had you not, right? Had you not made the change? What would the differences in your life be? And you know, as you get to make that progress, you know, one of the parts of your book, you talk about you know, the Hawaii story right? And you're reading your wife's book for the first time. And in there, I think it's a lot about what you just talked about too. Like you're reading and she's telling like the stories of your guys's marriage and the stories of like who you are. And as you're reading that, there's things in there. You're like, these are secrets. I don't want anyone to know this. Like you can't release this book, right? Like you probably didn't want her to, to release it when it, that was first coming out because it's all those things that we think, what are people going to think and do that? The looking back now, like what did it take at that time to be okay with it? Or were you ever okay with it until after? And then how do you feel looking back? Like uh, you know, when you see like, oh, now the secrets are out there. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing, my first reaction, my, so my wife wrote a book. If you don't know my wife, her name is Rachel Hollis. She wrote a, a variety of books, but her biggest book was something called Girl, Wash Your Face. And in this book, she describes 20 lies that she believed that kept her from being her best self. And in the 20 lies, she's telling stories of very, very personal, very transparent and honest things that she struggled with. And I thought that that vulnerability was a liability. And I did argue very, very hard for her to not release the book. I'm super excited that she didn't listen to me after it sold 4 million copies. But it was a thing at the time that I, man, thought was a mistake. And it wasn't until I was able to see how much the people who bought the book in their ability to see themselves and her stories were able to one, feel less alone, but two, in seeing a little bit of how she was able to stay out of her own way, they were afforded some tools on how they might also make life change to not have to you know, step in it the way that she maybe did. And so it turns out that vulnerability is a superpower. It's not a, it's not a liability. And so as I was able to take that away, it's been, it's, it's been applied in every single part of our business now. And the more that I am comfortable in owning the things that I've been through, it connects me 100% of the time to the audience who universally struggles. If you're listening to this, you struggle. Whether you want to admit it or not, you struggle. And why do I know this? Because humanity, because as humans, we all struggle and in acknowledging my struggle and how in getting through certain things, I feel different on the other side of that struggle, I was able to take something that I at times have carried shame for and turn it into power. 
And so if there's a way for you as you're listening to think about the way that the customers that you're interacting with, the brokers that you're interacting with, the team that you're trying to build also shares your humanity and your ability to connect with them with authenticity that doesn't necessarily always try to convince them everything's great, trust me, it's fine, but instead meets them with, hey, this is what's really going on. This is how I'm processing this anxiety. This is what I'm feeling about the market. Yep, these things, they happen to be real, but here's how we believe that we're deploying a set of resources or solutions to help deal with these real life, real world things. It connects you in a way that, especially in the hyper curated world of social media and the way that there is so much of people trying to put polish on the imperfections of just being human, um, the person who's willing to own a little bit of their personal struggle will actually, in my mind, break through and connect with the people you're trying to connect with in a way that otherwise you wouldn't be able to. It can be a superpower and definitely is something for me that has afforded me power by owning with honesty and with, with some transparency the struggle that I've been through in a way that I, again, at the beginning of this journey, never would have afforded anyway. Right. Four million people, they find out, you know, they get to read all that stuff that you're afraid of. And then you see like now, now it's probably, it is definitely a strength in social media and probably, you know, anybody out there to realize you're, you know, no, if, if everyone knows your secrets, you're not blackmailable, right? Like nobody can oh. actually say like, no, I know it's the other way. I had, I'd gotten in so much trouble in my twenties. And I remember being, you know, early in my thirties being like, oh man, I hope people don't Google and find out that I was arrested and all this stuff. And again, thinking that people cared, Right. And the, but then when the, when you finally like get on a podcast and go, let's, let's just tell everybody about it. It's no big deal. First one, you realize it's no big deal. And then two, there's this freedom and the idea that now you can be your authentic self. There's no secrets in the stories and the, you know, you, you know, you and your wife, both you've grown like huge social media, you know, channels and the, and, and I, is it every day, you know, how often do you guys do that? Like you do a morning show where it's just you guys talking, just being authentic, talking about whatever. And that seems to be one of the most popular things you guys do. Like so many people are drawn to you. Um, how often do you do that? And when, how did that start? Yeah, so we, we do something that we've branded the Start Today Morning Show. And uh, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Central, we are live on a variety of social media platforms. The replay ends up going into iTunes as a podcast. And there are about... 250,000 or so people per day that are in one platform or another engaging with us in community. And, um, you know, like, uh, again, I would just say, like, this is something that um, consistency compounds, right? If you are wondering, all right, how do I how do I create something that draws crowds like this? Consistency compounds, we have done this every single weekday morning for almost three years worth of time. And in doing it every single weekday morning for almost three years worth of time, 30, at least 30 minutes per day, um, we are in a Gary Vee kind of way, jab, 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 jab forever before you write hook and ask someone to actually transact financially with you. We're just trying to deliver a massive amount of value to the audience because that is what building a community is about. Um, listening, listening, listening to what their needs are, and then serving them tools that can meet those needs. Um, we are in real time doing an activation with our community called Next 90 Days, where for these 14 weeks of the next 90 days of time, we are every single week 
having a theme during each week. Yes, last week was the first week. It was about perspective. And so we had a couple of guest speakers come on and talk about it. We had our podcasts each talk about it. We've got a, a variety of podcasts that run during the week. We have uh, some coaching that was created specifically for it. And yep, we had five days worth of this morning show that was talking about it. And the, you know, uh, we have about a half million people that signed up to do this activation. Wow. There's no charge to it, right? There's no charge. The idea is if you can just overwhelm people with content and build them in, in, in you know, a community, is there a way that they can feel affinity for your brand? Is there a way that they might, after they've received a bunch of really great, valuable, but free content, ask if there are deeper ways that they can spend time with you inside of a live event with a book? with a journal or some kind of product with a TV program or a film that we've created. So um, we are, you know, we're just fanatical about serving the audience well. And so here in this time, I would ask like, what are some of the things that you can do in quarantine, no matter what business that you operate inside of? And the thing I would say is you can create tons of content. We have ca a camera set up in a room and we are creating massive amounts of content to put on social media. And the thing is, if you are putting it up so that you can get 250,000 people a day to watch it, then don't start because it's not going to happen on the first day. Consistency compounds. It is going to take you deciding to do it for the seven people who decide to watch it for the first month for it to get 25 people and then 250 people and then 2,500 people over the course of time. But if you can focus on serving the needs of your audience well, what do people right now have concerns about with regard to real estate, given the state of the world? How valuable is the asset they're currently holding? When is the right time to buy? Does the financing of homes or of, of business change with any of the subsidies that might be coming from the government? Are there things that the rates changing with the Fed that like you have a set of information that there is a ton of appetite for whether someone is in or out of the market. And if you can satisfy giving some answers, some, some knowns in a sea of unknowns, you'll be seen as a resource. So the first thing I would say like, man, just focus on how can you create inside of this window and then do it because of wanting to deliver value, not because of hoping that you're gonna convert a sale, not because of thinking you're gonna get a new customer, do it because you are committed to serving the needs of your potential customers long from now, long from now. Right. Like the, that consistency completely compounds. I remember I, I, I saw your wife, Rachel, at a conference and somebody had asked her, like, how did you grow your social media so big? Right. And she was like, well, the after days and days and days for years, providing just content and consistency in that you know, there's no like overnight success with this. And the, like when you started that morning show three years ago, you didn't have 350,000 people on there. No, you know? <laughs> no. And real estate Hundreds. news right now is changing every day, right? So it's a great opportunity to, to log in at the same time and be authentic. That other thing we were talking about was just being able to be completely honest with who you are and be able to share the news because people do want to hear it. And yeah, you guys have, at the beginning, probably, I mean, I, I think if someone would have asked, told you there was going to be 350,000 people on your daily morning show, your wife probably would have said yes, and you probably would have said no, right? That's real. I'm a skeptic. I'm always skeptical of what the heck is actually happening here. I mean, I think the thing, too, that you have to have a handle on as you're listening is 
who is your ideal customer and what is their specific need set? Because there may be someone who's listening who has high-end speculative, you know, commercial real estate types who would, you know, 100% be in the market for this is the time where millionaires are born, right? Because the market's low. And if you've got, you know, some liquidity, now you can just like rush to buy. And when things turn, you're going to be right. And then there's some of you that are working in residential, lower, lower price point housing, that if you start talking about this is where millionaires are born, where people are having a hard time making ends meet to make their rent payment this month, you're going to, you're going to completely turn off the possibility. It sounds tone deaf, right? So you have to, I think, first start with just understanding a little bit of who is my ideal customer and what is their specific need set and how with the expertise that I have, could I deliver resources and value to them in this time, given what I know is on their heart or on their mind, or what is like, what is, what is worrying them? And how can I maybe alleviate a little bit of that worry with information that would help make them feel a little more sure in an unsure time? Yeah, such great advice because everybody has that. Everybody has a specialty. Everybody has an ideal client. And every one of those clients needs something different today than they needed two months ago. And for the next 60 to 90 days, they're, they're going to they're gonna need that too. Let's talk about the, your relationship. So you guys go on a date night like Every week, I think your book says every Thursday night for the rest of the world, the rest of your life, you guys have that. And now you are, and now we're at home, right? So we can't. So I'm curious about what you guys are doing to help with that because it was such a good habit that you had. And then also, you've been working with your spouse for a while, right? So people right now are you know, at home all day long with their spouses. There's also a lot, of th- a lot of changes that happen during recessions. Maybe one spouse starts working that wasn't. Breadwinners change. You know, you've experienced so much with all of that. What, what, what are you doing right now with your, with your relationship? Are there any hacks that you're doing during this? And also any tips for you know, being a spouse, working closely with your spouse or, or friends or anything else to have those conversations? Yeah. Well, we are, uh, I'm a, I, we're really big. I'm really big on this idea of like uh, create your, your values, whether they're personal values or relationship values, and then understand what you need to do to engineer the most likely scenario of making those values come to life. I, I've, I, I've called it my if-then statement, right? If I want an exceptional relationship, then I need to do these things. If I want to be an exceptional father, then I need to, right? And so when it comes to if I want an exceptional relationship with my wife, then my calendar needs to reflect my desire for an exceptional relationship, the way that I am actively in pursuit of my wife, our commitment to intimacy has to be something that, you know, all of the things, right? And so, yes, a standing Thursday night date night is a thing that has been a thing for us prior to quarantine and during quarantine. Now, we've had to be creative because we've got four kids. My niece happened to have moved out here about a year ago. And so she quarantined with us from the beginning because I knew that I was going to need some help with these thousand children that live inside of this house. And I didn't want her to have to be alone, but man, what a gift that we have in an extra set of hands that lets us, this is our date night. Last Thursday, we got in the car, we went to a drive through car wash and we listened to a podcast together before we came back home and resumed our life. That is not a traditional date night, but 
just drive. I mean, like we drove the long way. We live out in the middle of nowhere, south of Austin, Texas. We drove the long way so that we would have an hour, just an hour of time by ourselves. And, um, you know, like finding time for yourself, even if alone time means sitting out on the back porch after the kids have gone to bed, um, you got to fight for that. You got to do that. We have been working together for about two years. It has been the best two years of our, of our relationship, and it has been the hardest two years of our relationship. And the thing I would say, um, if, you, if you work with your partner, uh, man, you already know, it can be challenging and hard. And the, the best advice that I would give is uh, really trying to find clear lanes that define what you do and what they do so that you can eliminate as much as possible the times where there's overlap or ambiguity in, in who's doing what. So for us, she is the what person. She is the visionary dreamer and she creates the what. And I am the how person. I am the practical, pragmatic integrator of our business. I figure out how to take what she's created and make it available on as many platforms as possible to as wide an audience as possible um, in a way that they're you know, ultimately hoping to receive it. And man, that's been good for defining how we do what we do. And yet, there's still plenty of friction because by nature, an integrator and a visionary are supposed to have friction. And so we had to change the way that we thought about engaging in constructive conflict so that we could serve our team of 60 people well, so that we could still want to make out at the end of a long day, so that we could resolve things fast. And one of the things that we had to adopt was this idea of radical candor, which is a book that a person named Kim Scott wrote. There's a great like 20 minute YouTube video that explains this thing super, super succinctly if you're interested. But it's the idea that if you are in relationship and respect someone and you know what they have suggested are their personal values or what they aspire to in their personal brand and you see them deviate from those values or deviate from that brand, you have a responsibility as someone who cares about them to pull them aside and have a direct conversation about what you've witnessed so that they can take that information and apply it to how they might have, you know, maybe shown up better or how they might show up better next time. It still can sometimes be emotional. And it was definitely a deviation from us having been a little more, I would say, even like codependent prior to working together. We were trying to keep each other a little more happy than we were wanting to deal necessarily head on with what was going on. But it has become super normal for us to have hard conversations because the frequency of hard conversations, they happen all the time, but they're not that hard anymore. And so in this environment now where we're together in quarantine, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to make any recommendations about disrupting more things than not. But I also will say, if you can find a way to have constructive conversations so that the things that you're feeling don't fester, it, is, uh, it creates a lightness and an opportunity to push through so many times the things that I think she is feeling or the intention that I believe her to have when I've actually confronted her about it is completely not there. And so many times we have these conversations and each of us have to start our sentences with the words, my intention is. My intention is to get clarity on what your you know, doing this thing or that thing was so that I can really understand what your motivation was or why you were trying to do it. My intention here is to, and if you find yourself in a place where, man, you're frustrated, guess what? Being in quarantine with the humans that you love is going to create frustration for sure. It's a guarantee. Um, finding a way to have 
a, a harder conversation or a courageous conversation in a way that they can hear is super helpful. We, I will say this last thing, sorry, but when, when things have become particularly tough, when we have had to deal with things that are hard, harder, we've resorted to emails because there is something in shooting an email to the other that affords that person the opportunity to read it, become emotional about whatever it is that they're being confronted in, have that emotion de-escalate, and then come back and have a more constructive conversation after they've processed it in a way that hopefully is less defensive and more open to actually having a conversation. And that has been super effective. Doesn't mean that it doesn't still hurt your heart when you get an email that says, you have not been as um, connected to your personal values or you've like veered off of who you said you want to be as a father or a husband, but uh, it's, 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 it's something that has worked for us. Yeah. In your book, you've got a few examples of those emails. So I won't, I won't do the spoilers, but I thought those were, those were some really powerful things that help, you know, the communication. I think that that's really great advice right now, especially for, for quarantine, for spouses that are going to have those conversations for the first time. Spouse roles are going to change. You know, breadwinners are going to change within the relationships right now. Anytime you go into a recession, so much stuff changes. So being able to start that conversation with my intention is, that's a very safe spot. And then sending that email if it's a hard one. Do you have a certain amount of time where, hey, if, if I send you an email, you got to cool down for at least an hour before you come in? Or We haven't really gone there. I mean, truly, like when you get an email and at the top, there is the declaration of the intent. Hey, I am sending this because. It, like, it's, it's, it's easy to de-escalate the emotion when you can stay anchored to the intention of the person sending it. And the fact that in part of their declaration, they're representing how much they care for you and how hard it is to, frankly, you have to sometimes confront someone about something that they inevitably could be, you know, they could feel some shame for, or they could feel, you know, any kind of feelings, but it tends to be a thing where you, you, you give it a night's sleep, right? Like people always say like, don't go to bed angry. I 100% believe that you should go to bed angry. Uh, if, if I get an email like this, or we have a hard conversation, and it doesn't feel like we have the emotional energy or the time to actually unpack the conversation, then get a good night's sleep. And then with a fresh set of eyes, and maybe the benefit of a little time to consider the intention of their having brought this up in the first place, you can have a productive conversation in a way that doesn't get, you know, super emotional. The, the alternative is to not say anything. And in not saying anything, you are guaranteeing two things. One, um, it will fester and it will become a bigger problem over time. And two, you will not actually pull into the light whether the thing that you are thinking is real or imagined. And so often, I mean so, so often, the thing that I'm thinking is an imagined thing that does not actually exist. And it's only in bringing it up that I get to be free from it because it never was there. Yeah. That, those tough conversations are tough for both parties. Just like you said, a spouse never wants to hurt someone else's feelings. They don't want to get into there. And so trusting that everybody goes into that. And a good night's sleep can solve a lot of stuff. With business, it's the same thing. We have these problems and these stresses and we pray about it and go to bed and we kind of wake, sometimes we wake up with a solution. And so uh, I, I like that change of maybe it's, you know, go to bed angry and wake up with a, with a way to solve it. So we're, we're almost out of time, but what we, I, really, I, want, I want you to tell us about the Hollis Company, right? So it started as, as some books and now it's gone into so many different phases of you've got these giant conferences now. I don't know how many a year you've got the business conference. So tell us about Hollis Company, what you guys are doing, what you're going to be doing this year and uh, you know, any, of the, any of the big stuff. Yeah. I, so the Hollis Company exists to put tools in people's hands to help them have the fullest life possible. The idea has any of the any of the products or services that we've created have truly come 
out of listening to the audience represent their interest in us going into a certain, whether it's platform or medium. And so, uh, yep, there's live events. There are women's conferences called the Rise Conference. There is a business conference called Rise Business. There is a, a run. Uh, we've gotten really into running. Uh, and so there is a, a half marathon 5K that's happening this year. Uh, there is digital education. There's a, a portal that has a whole host of ways that you can be coached by myself, by Rachel, or, or through some other people that we're bringing into a network uh, for coaching. And uh, it's been an awesome way to connect community, but also to serve individual needs, whether it's in life or career. We have a variety of different products. There's uh, some product that lives at Target around planners and journals. There's some direct consumer stuff that we create with hats, water bottles, you know, different paper goods. Uh, and then there's books, right? I have this book that you've talked about. Rachel's got a series of books that, you know, have, have been put out. And, uh, and, and beyond, beyond the books inside of the media space, there's podcasts and, and some different fun TV stuff. Rachel has a show that's out on a, a new platform called Quibi. Uh, we've had a movie that uh, lives on Amazon called Made for More. Anyway, um, we just make a whole <laughs> bunch of uh, media. We make a bunch of media that, that hopefully um, in meeting people and their needs where they've represented they exist will help them um, to have a, a richer, fuller life. Yeah, it's like the, that is, that is a, a huge elevator pitch, but I, I know so much of the stuff you guys have, I think when it came to the journal, it was people told you they wanted a journal, so you made one. Everybody's like, well, hey, what do you do for this? And so it was listening to people, like, how did you know that your products were going to be so awesome is because your people told them, told you exactly what you wanted, you put that together, and then, and then you released it. So I do people- think it's interesting in this time, you know, like, it, it, you bring up a great point, like, when originally we had an idea to do a conference, it was one day. And then people represented an interest in some additional things and it became two day. And then when we had an experience at a conference where we realized that health was a thing that we weren't touching on enough because of some of the reaction to some of the material, we added a third day. When people were talking about this gratitude practice that Rachel was doing in a notebook and asking if we would create a gratitude practice in a journal, it became a massive part of our business because they were interested in doing this thing and were raising their hand suggesting it. And so if you have stayed connected to the ways that your teams or your, com- your, your customers are consistently asking the same question over and over, that is them telling you to create a tool that would be of value to them. Um, you need to just follow that trail of breadcrumbs. And I don't, you know, I don't know what it might be specifically for you know, people who work inside of real estate or an agent, but man, if you're hearing, hearing the same thing over and over, that is them, the universe, telling you that that is a thing that you ought to pull on the thread of. Yeah, listen to what's out there. So, the, so if people want to join the next 90-day challenge, is it too late? Not at all. It, we're doing it for 14 weeks. You can head over to thehollisco.com slash next nine zero. And every single week, there is going to be a different theme and every week you're going to get a uh, 45 or so minute coaching. Uh, last week it was on perspective. This week it's on joy. Next, next week it's on habits. But each week uh, we're going to do this thing as a community. And uh, we'd love to have you join. Yeah. If you guys want to hear more about Dave or his wife, you know, on Instagram, they do a ton of stuff on Instagram and Facebook. You go to at Mr. Dave Hollis on Instagram or at the Hollis company. The, that's where they do the, you know, the, the, the show. And your podcast, The Rise Together podcast. 
out there? Right, yep. Right, Rise Together is on Thursdays. It's a relationship podcast. And uh, man, it's, it's a mix of Rachel and I talking about every single part of our relationship, but also bringing on fantastic guests to talk about their specific expertise. So we've had um, you know, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of Love Languages on. We've had a sex therapist on a couple of times. We do call-in you know, features where people that are out there just telling us the things that they're struggling with, we try to dive into all of it. That's every single Thursday. Rachel's got a great podcast. It uh, was the number one business podcast last year on iHeart called Rise. It comes out on Tuesdays, and it's just practical, tactical tips on how to um, scale your small business. And each of you, as you're listening, you're small business owners. So if you have not yet, uh, give, give Rise a listen. Yeah. You guys have so many resources out there, something for every, everybody. Dave, thanks for coming on today. And the, I hope so many people reach out and follow you. Right on, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger, yes, the one finger that points at people, and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on a million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.